Hey, housewives, come on in. You know the dirty dishes are still in the sink from yesterday and the laundry is still in the basket. Pop your AirPods in and make yourself at home here. I'm Tracy. I'm Tori. And we are your Unlikely Housewives. Stepping out in faith and believing that God calls the unlikely, we are here to show you the appreciation and validation you deserve, lead you to authentic relationships, and release you of believing the cultural lies to restore your faith and wellness. Pull up those high-waisted yoga pants, tighten your top knot, and reheat your coffee for the third time. Turn up the volume and let's go. Hey, housewives, welcome back. Hey, hey, housewives, we are here. Another Tuesday and another incredible episode coming at you. We are so excited to have another guest in-house. In-house. Um, and, and we've upped our game. We've got some video going and our setup is incredible for us. We feel so privileged uh, to have Seth with us. So for today, we are going to walk some uncharted territory for some housewives. Yes, we are. Um, we're really excited to just talk to Seth and get to know him and what his mission is, and really just have an incredible conversation. So I'm going to let Tori introduce him. So I started following Seth about two years ago when he spoke at Jack Hibbs Church in Calvary Chapel. Thanks, Mom, for the recommending Jack Hibbs Church. <laughs> There's that. And Jack Hibbs, if you're on, you guys have heard me talk about him before. I absolutely love him as a pastor. And he very rarely has guest pastors, guest speakers, because he is literally going verse by verse through Romans, and it's going to take him the rest of his life. And so when he had Seth on, I won. The conversation that Seth had with that congregation was incredible, and I started following him since. But I knew how important it was after that, and so I started following him a couple of years ago. Well, so to how this all came about was I followed him. And then in July, God put it on my heart and says, I want you to do a fundraiser for White Rose. And I was like, all right, I'll send the email. So I <laughs> sent an email not knowing what it would look like at all. Just like, maybe I can fly Seth in and we can have just some people over. And I don't know. <laughs> God, I'm just sending an email. And a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from his right hand man. And he says, hey, love that you want to do this. Do you know where Seth lives? I promise I'm not giving out your address. <laughs> and I said, well, he's in Southern California, right? And he goes, no, he just moved to Kansas. And I go, leave Southern California for Kansas. And so to see how God has orchestrated this whole thing is incredible. But to give you the proper introduction that you deserve, Seth, you are the founder and president of the White Rose Resistance and host of the popular podcast, Unaborted, a nationally renowned human rights activist and sought after speaker. Seth is fighting for a world where every person has the right to be born. So welcome to the podcast, Seth. Are we not doing uh, pronouns? Oh, yeah. What, what, what is your choosing pronoun? No, uh, handsome and brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think my husband would copy those. Yes, yes. Uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. Yeah, well, here we are in bleeding uh, Kansas. It's good to be with you guys. Yes. I'll have to tell you this one, too. One that's kind of funny is we have a friend, too, on their pronouns because email tags now have everybody's pronouns, right? Yeah. And so he put shh and slash 
it. <laughs> so his pronoun is what you guys want to read out of that. So I'm just gonna, I kind of like that idea too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, That's awesome. Okay. So like I said, I have followed you for a while. I mean, I have always so loved... So that was 2020, huh? Yeah. So that was one of my first speaking events after the scamdemic shutdowns or plandemic or whatever you want to call it. I had been in Berkeley, California with my wife and at the time just one kid. This was March of 2020 and I had just spoken at two Christian high schools. So I used to do like Protestant Catholic high schools and youth groups. That was like all I could get into. Okay. Because pulpits rarely would a church give me the pulpit. And now like we have 17 pending Sunday morning church requests and I'm already booked through February. That's awesome. That's incredible. um, If we say yes to all of these, we'll be booked through fall of 2024, about 12 months out, which is bonkers. I never would have thought that would have happened. And But that wasn't the case in 2019, 2020. And so we were in Berkeley. I was supposed to speak at UC Berkeley that evening. I forget the date, but it was when the the shutdown started. I was supposed to speak at UC Berkeley, which I ended up doing last year, but this was 2020. And the Students for Life Club called me at UC Berkeley and said they just shut the campus down. And so that was when the shutdown started. And so from that point on, all of my speaking events in April, May, June, July, August of 2020 were all canceled, right? All of them. And then I get a call from Gina Gleason, who's a dear friend and warrior, and she runs the Real Impact Ministry at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. Okay. It's under the umbrella of, of the Jack Hibbs Ministry. And Gina says, we're doing this event called Comeback California with Larry Elder and Liz Wheeler and... Heidi St. John, and we want you to be the pro-life guy. And end of August 2020, and then Jack's wife, Lisa, heard me at that conference and told Jack he needs to be in the pulpit. And so three weeks later, October 2020, I'm speaking in front of one of the largest congregations uh, in the state of California. And Jack, who's my earthly hero, then commissioned me as a missionary of the of the church. And it's actually pretty much the driving force behind the success of the White Rose Resistance. Uh, I That's Ro- amazing. Rofel. I didn't know all that. And I didn't know the background of how you got to Jack Hibbs. Like, to see how it's all orchestrated, right? Oh, was, and by the way, just... that was because of my podcast. So, just, oh. so just hold on to hope. You never know what a podcast might do. Oh, man. So did you so. start the podcast in 2020 during that break? No, or you that already was summer had 2019. I started, oh, okay. I started the podcast summer 2019. Wow. Yeah, Look yeah, at yeah. that. That's... I think we're over 300 episodes now. And how many years? 300 episodes in how many years? Four. Well, so we, yeah, we launched it like, I think it was June or July of 2019. Uh-huh. So we just passed the four year mark. That's so, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. We can had, do it. Had Charlie yeah. hey. had Jack Hibbs on, <laughs> had Rob McCoy, had Kirk Cameron multiple times. Eric oh, I love him. Um, I love Eric too. And, uh, just friends and warriors who know what time it is. So, yeah. But here's the thing, right? The individuals need to begin asking themselves, how then shall I live? Mm-hmm. No more waiting for pregnancy resource centers, for conservative action groups to do the work that God has called you to do individually. I appreciate your guys' voice and your podcast and what you're doing to speak life as moms and wives who are busy with other things because we have to start asserting dominion. Which is gonna that that word's gonna freak out some of your listeners. (laughs) Yeah, We, we have to start exercising stewardship with where we live and everything starts locally. When tyranny rises, the battle for life and liberty always becomes local. Well, and, that's, that's, and that's what every tyrant and king has always feared. They've always feared the mob. The local stuff, like we didn't realize 
how important voting for our school board is. Stay tuned for that episode, guys, because we have the four candidates coming coming up um, in October. But like we as parents, we're like, oh, well, we live in we have great school district here and da da da. And you don't realize who you're voting for, like because it's just, oh, well, Blue Valley out excellence is all of this. And you see the stats when you move. Right. And you're looking at school districts and things like that. And that's what we knew. But COVID changed all of that, like it opened your eyes to ask questions. Wait, wait, why are we doing that? Yeah. Or who are I'm, we I'm talking gra- to? I'm grateful for the scamdemic. And here's why. It showed who's who in the zoo. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Boy, good. did we learn people's true colors. Yeah. Yes. Pastors. Yes. Teachers. Parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grandparents. You know, many people came up to me at speaking events says, my adult children won't talk to me and won't let me see my grandchildren because I won't get the job. I mean, families were ripped asunder during the scamdemic. Yeah. Churches folded under. People left churches that that should have been folded under long before because they were run by cowards. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just started really seeing people's true colors and it happened at the school board too. Parents started realizing the kind of radical Marxist pornographic sex ed that didn't appear in our schools in 2020, y'all. For everyone listening going, yeah, oh, the school board battle, that weird stuff they're teaching kids. That didn't appear in 2020. That had been there for decades, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, we just learned that it was there because of these private Zoom classroom sessions. And you started to see where we started hearing breaking stories Mm -hmm. from families reporting to Daily Wire or Breitbart or others saying that they heard the teacher saying, make sure that your parents aren't around Hmm. or wear headphones so your parents can't hear. And parents are going, well, what the heck are you teaching? Yeah, why? So anyway, so the point is, right, we really learned a lot of who people really were. And we started discovering some of the evil that was in our schools, in our cities. And this is an important lesson and takeaway. And this will be my last point on this is that there's no such thing as moral neutrality. The the question is not, will there be a dominant standard in the public square, but whose? And by the public square, I mean, I mean, yeah, the curriculum at your school board, at your your school, the laws on the books in your city about like letting strip clubs, abortion centers, and weed dispensaries stay open open. as essential services. But the church was non-essential. That's what I mean by the public square. And there will be a dominant standard. There will be a dominant morality that dictates the terms of engagement in the cities and counties that we live in. The question is whose morality, whose religion? This is a truism of history. There is no such thing as a neutral public square. Hey, you believe killing babies is healthcare and chopping off the genitals of nine-year-olds is gender-affirming healthcare? And I believe that human beings have dignity and sanctity and there's only two genders. Mm-hmm. So we'll just agree to meet in the middle and there won't be any strife between our, our uh, disparate worldviews. Uh, <laughs> false. Someone's ideas and someone's worldview or vision of what human flourishing looks like will assert itself onto yeah. the rest of the community. Man can't help but do that. So the problem with saying, well, I'm not political. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, we're going there right no, now. No, wait, no. Sorry, let's I'm not do a this. Republican or a Democrat. And that's why I never talk about issues that the left defines as political from my pulpit, because I just do the Great Commission and I preach the gospel, but I don't do anything to rescue those being led away to death. Oh, wait, that's right. Proverbs 24, 11. Uh, I don't speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Right, right. Babies, children, Proverbs 31. Because I, I don't, uh, that, that, those are political issues. Yeah. The problem with waiting downstream and evangelizing and preaching a saving gospel to wounded and hurting individuals down the cultural streams 
and not contending upstreams is that eventually the ideas and policies that you tolerated because you didn't want to be perceived as political will start disrupting your church, mm-hmm. your community, and those that you've been called to be a shepherd over your mm-hmm. flock. And then you go, oh, wow, wow, I can get a lap dance and kill my baby, but I can't go to church because the virus can obviously differentiate between <laughs> religious conservatives gathering right, in a 50% true. full congregation I, and those getting lap dances and, and getting weed brownies. It was Obviously, also really a virus smart. can differentiate between those gatherings. And pastors started going, oh my goodness, what hath my apathy wrought? That's just one example I could give of dozens mm-hmm. of what tolerating bad ideas does, what appearing to be apolitical, because you don't want to be, you don't want to stir the pot mm-hmm. actually causes in your community. Well, the pot was stirred anyways. Right. Because we tolerated bad ideas for so long. Well, okay. So let's, First of all, I'd also like to say that virus was really, really smart because remember, if you were sitting at a table, you could take your mask off at a restaurant and then, but if you stood up, you had to, wa- to walk out of the restaurant. You had, so it was very smart like that yeah, six yeah, foot yeah, roll yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But why, why is this your fight? Because it's a genocide. I, I always have two answers for that. Generally, people want to know my background. They want to know what got me there. But the first answer I like to always give is why is it not your fight? <laughs> so I'll give you the answer that you're probably looking for. And it's the one that makes people curious. And it's the one they realize. But why, why individually were you called to this? And I, I understand the answer you're looking for, Tori. But, but the answer I firstly always like to give is, why is it not yours? No. Because we all Fair. tell ourselves that we would have been Harriet Tubman's. right? We, we all tell ourselves that I would have been underground railroading it so hard. I would have been the most badass abolitionist you ever met. Or like for we, the we for think, the Nazis. That's right. Like, we right? Think we that would have saved ourselves. I would have saved the Jews. I would have hidden well, that's the Jews. Why right. Almost, yes. almost every pastor has at one point or another recommended my friend Eric Metaxas's biography on Bonhoeffer. Uh, yes, Bonhoeffer. Um, and, I was uh, just listening to Eric. Almost every pastor yes. who's silent on abortion and doesn't mobilize their congregation to tear down the high places has at one point or, or another talked about how disgusting the silent church was during slavery in America and and how many of them were actually involved in upholding the institution of slavery. We have a Holocaust today. We we have lynchings today. They're called womb lynchings and they happen at the tune of a million a year. Right. Randy Alcorn, my one of my uh, favorite authors, and we've had him on the mm-hmm. podcast. Randy once said, we, we looked down our noses at those who tolerated and were silent during the Holocaust while turning a blind eye to our Holocaust today. I mean, we have murdered more innocent children in America than Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, and Mao Zedong could have possibly dreamed about in their dizziest daydreams. Probably 70 million babies, probably north of that, because you can't really track abortion numbers. So you've heard 63. It's yeah. probably well well north of 70 because thanks to Bill Clinton, states don't have to report their abortion data anymore. They don't have to report their numbers. And then the abortion pill, which is 58% of the annual abortion right now, 58% of babies killed or killed through the abortion pill. You can't Holy. track this. It's very difficult to track it. So just when you hear pro-life, the pro-life movement say things like 63 million babies, assume it's probably 75 or more that we murdered wow. in America in the last 50 years. Okay. Um, okay. Hold on. Pause. Pause for a second. Randy Alcorn. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the second time we've heard his yeah. name on our podcast. Yes, it because is. Valerie. somebody Valerie mentioned yep. a book by him, and yep. I was just actually listening to Jack Hibbs preach, and yeah, he also everyone mentioned everyone should read yeah. everything Randy's written. He's one of the most so, published Christian authors, and he hasn't made a dime on any of his book royalties in his entire career. That's wow. a good, well, okay. So, Housewives, there's your there's the homework. Because he go gives find it all away. He gives 100 of his book royalties away. That's amazing. You want to know why? Why? Because he was sidewalk counseling to save babies outside the the Love Joy Abortion Center. 
Yeah, it was called the Lovejoy Abortion Center in Portland. Oh, that's um, decades ago. And Planned Parenthood didn't like what he was doing. So they filed suit against him and they claimed that he had trespassed. He was just standing on the sidewalk. sidewalk. But anyways, a friendly judge, a Planned Parenthood friendly judge had it out for Randy and for pro-lifers. And the case went the wrong way. Uh, it was one of the most unjust cases against pro-lifers I've ever researched. Pro- actually, and uh, Randy's basically said this, I probably have the most detailed account of that story on my podcast that he's ever given. Mark Driscoll had him tell the story like 12, 15 years ago. But we'll I, put that I link on the go, show I notes. got him to go mm-hmm. more into detail to tell that story. It's about an hour long than anyone's ever heard before behind how this all happened. And so what I ended up deciding was that if he made over, look how unjust this is. If he made over minimum wage, Planned Parenthood could garnish his wages from the royalties of his book sales. Oh my goodness. Uh, Randy has, I think his books have sold, he said it on the show, 13 to $14 million. He, he, he'd be worth about $14 million from his book sales. And so rather than risk the chance, the chance, the chance. that Planned Parenthood could, could garnish attack. his wages from his book royalties, Guess what Randy and his team decided to do after that unjust lawsuit? Give 100% of his book royalties away to 501c3 ministries, pro-life ministries, evangelism ministries, rescuing children from trafficking ministries. Then about a decade or more later, they revisited and they said, uh, we, we, we think that, that this is over. We don't think Planned Parenthood will try. And he said, but, but could they still, would they still have the opportunity to, if they chose to? It, said, yeah, yeah, technically. Yeah. And so Randy said, why well, fix something that's not broken? So he continues to give away hundred percent of his book royalties. That's amazing. Uh, to ministries. But hey. those are the kind of pastors we need in America today. Yes. Right. Those who actually take the killing of children created in the image of God as little people, little children, little persons, as seriously as people like Randy Alcorn take it. I have okay. a question. And this is absolutely from just our general conversation beforehand. And and I asked Tori this question before and she's like, that's a great question for Seth. And it's like, why is it so hard for churches and pastors to come behind you when it's biblically written? There's why no other so choice. Gray? Like, that's what I don't like, understand. Christians that tell me they're like, well, I like I, you cannot be a committed Christian and pro-choice, period. How about those Ten Commandments? Do not murder. Like now, side note, I do want to say, but it's not murdering Tori because it's not a person; it's just a blob of tissue at that point. This is for housewives. If you or someone you love has had this, has chosen to do that in your life, this is not a shaming podcast. We are not about that. Okay, we highly encourage you to find the redeeming love of Jesus and forgiveness for yourself. Through and him. There's a great curriculum for that, by the way. There, forgiven and set free is a great one. There's lots of, I'll say it again for people, forgiven and set free. There's lots of post-abortion gospel-centered Bible studies for people to go through that process yeah, of healing. Yeah, and I think so that, that this is, is absolutely, and I'm so glad that you said that, because I'm sure that this could be triggering something, not of someone necessarily, but someone you've cared for, or that you've walked right, through, and, and you've seen the pain. And you don't want to have the conversation because you're tiptoeing. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the luxury to be silent. We're not called to be silent. So... When our churches, when for Kansas, value them both, like when that was up on the table and I had one church that I saw had to value them both and it got actually vandalized and mm-hmm. my family went and we cleaned it and stuff like that because it was. Well, here's it's what just Jack like, Kibbs had to say about pastors like that. And I'm paraphrasing, but this is almost a direct quote. 
he was talking about California as Prop 1 was about to go through, and it did go through. And right. what did Prop 1 do in California, for, for those listening who don't know? It codified abortion through point of birth into the California state constitution. So it's now a constitutional right in the state of California to get an abortion at any point of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. Say that slower yeah. one more time. Aborting, for... ripping babies apart, dissecting, disemboweling, dismembering children through point of birth. So you could be dilating and you could change your mind and you could say, actually, I want the abortion. And you would be able to legally request that. In the state of California is yeah. legal oh, and, right and, now. And Vermont did this. New York did this. And there was one other. And so, you have to so be a resident of that state, Roe fell, After Roe fell. Uh, you don't have to be a resident, though, states, do you? No, so what my former, my, so I moved out of California recently, but I was born and raised there. So what our former, my governor, Gavin, we call him Gavin Newsom Leaney, started doing was using taxpayer dollars to pay for billboards, to put them in pro-life states to tell women to come to California, right? Because we protect child sacrifice, sorry, reproductive health care in California. So come to California. And California taxpayer dollars were being used not just for the billboards to advertise uh, baby murder in California, but also to say, we will pay for your hotel, your travel expenses, your food expenses, the abortion itself. Oh, and you can trip out on this one. And your babysitter who needs to watch your born children back in your pro-life state because they need someone to watch them while you come to California to kill their sibling. So welcome to the culture of death. But here's what Jack said about pastors like you just mentioned, Tori. You've surrendered your pulpit. You've walked away from your authority and your mantle has fallen off. In other words, you need to step down in disgrace. So much right there. With that you being... You want some biblical stories to justify that statement? Well, no, I don't. But here's the thing. That th so you asked, though, uh, help us explain why these churches are so silent, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I so, think, I mean, because the grander scheme of this is we all go to church, right? Yeah. So the thousands of people that go to church well, are about, being led by these people at the pulpit. How about that one? Here's what C.S. Lewis would say. Quote, they simply found themselves in contact with a certain current of ideas and jumped into it because it seemed modern and successful. They started automatically writing the kind of essays that got good marks and saying the kind of things that won applause. They were afraid of a breach with the spirit of the age, afraid of ridicule. Having allowed themselves to drift unresisting, accepting every half-conscious solicitation from their desires, they reached the point where they no longer believed the truth. That's or a quote they from C.S. Lewis describing essentially what we might call syncretism. Um, syncretism, for those who don't know what that means, it's kind of the amalgamation of various worldviews. Okay, you just use a bigger word to describe it. A, 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 a smaller word. So okay. the, the meshing, the combining. Thank you. Um, All the, right, the, better. The, 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 the wicked marriage yeah. between various ideologies, worldviews, or religions. And so one of the things that Bonhoeffer critiqued the Deutsch Christen, the German church, was this idea of syncretism, right? You, you've just, you're syncretizing your faith mm -hmm. with what should be called a false religion, this, this Nazism, this anti-Semitism that so many German churches were preaching or allowing. He called it cheap grace. It's basically yeah. a gospel in Jesus you've created in your own image. But syncretism is this idea of amalgamation or marriage or combining of, of various ideas and worldviews that actually stand in direct contrast to one another, meaning there actually is no unity between these things, right? Mm -hmm. What does the Bible say? Can fresh water and salt water both flow out of the same spring, right? No. Yeah. So that, that's this idea of syncretism. And so C.S. Lewis is describing individuals 
who initially were on the right track, right? But they simply found themselves in contact with a certain current of ideas and plunged into it because it seemed modern and successful. Yeah. But that one line he says, he says, they were afraid of a breach with the spirit of the age, afraid of ridicule. But the longer they tolerated that, right, having allowed themselves to drift from the way, the truth, and the life, having allowed themselves to drift unresisting, accepting every half-conscious solicitation yeah. from their desires, eventually, what happened? They reached the point where they no longer believed the truth, right? And so, and, and this, to borrow from C.S. Lewis again, actually, this is one of, of Satan's greatest strategies. And he spells it out beautifully in the screw tape letters which I recommend every Christian read, by the way, if you want to understand. If you don't, if don't read it. The other thing is the audiobook version is really good to listen to. Yeah, if you like, want to understand I, what we're up against in the spiritual nature of this battle, you should listen to Screwtape Letters. And he, he's describing this, right, this interaction in the whole book between uh, Wormwood and, and Screwtape. And so uh, Uncle Screwtape, the senior demon, mentoring his junior demon Wormwood on how to destroy the church, how to get Christians off the the narrow and onto the wide path that leads mm -hmm. to destruction essentially is what the book the whole book's about and uh, there's this line i think that from, should be our bible study for i think the screw tape leaders would be really no, cool. yeah, i incredible. think that really would and, and so there's this line from screw tape to wormwood and he says as the humans have said active habits are strengthened by repetition but passive ones are weakened the longer he who's he the, the christian mm -hmm. the longer he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. And in the long wow. run, in the long run, the less he will be able to feel at all. It's probably one of the most like slap you in your face, like sobering lines in the screw tape letters. So what is what is screw tape telling his junior demon Wormwood? Oh, let's let's let the Christians feel it all. Let's mm -hmm. let them feel all the right things. Hey, maybe Maybe he even sheds a tear on every Sanctity of Human Life Sunday when he talks about the murder of babies, if he even preaches against abortion once a year, and he lets the Pregnancy Resource Center set up a table in their foyer and maybe gives her one minute to share about her ministry before the worship band comes and sings for 20 minutes of Bethel songs. Maybe he even cries a little bit. Let him feel, let him feel it all, but, but not act, not act. Because mm. the longer he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel at all. In other words, let's create a generation of spiritually degenerate pouch potatoes who are only good for orthodoxy, that's right belief, but not orthopraxy, that's right practice. And the Bible would say the faith without works is dead, right? That right, these two things right, together. Right. If we can create a generation of Christian leaders, pastors, and lay people who feel all the right things. Oh, Seth, we love your ministry. Oh, the babies are so sweet. Oh, what have you done to prevent the murder of children? Well, I go to my pregnancy center banquet once a year and I give them 50 bucks a month. Oh, oh, well, well thank you for doing that. A have you ever tried to save children? Have you ever tried to mobilize your church? Who, by the way, worship the greatest former fetus to have ever existed, who entered human history in a uterus to redeem mankind from their sins? Oh, no, you, you've never done that. That's actually Satan's favorite thing mm -hmm. is apathy. Have all the right belief systems. Sometimes feel broken about the culture of death, but never act. Never do anything to stop the evils that so disturb your heart. And if we can keep the church there long enough, eventually they won't feel broken. 
well, anymore. That, that kind of answers one of my questions, but just to expand on it a little bit more, because my question was going to be, what will it cost us to stay silent? And I mean, we've all started just to... Just our souls. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've all started to dabble in speaking out. I mean, I am a recovering people pleaser. You know, I am someone who has always watched what I say because I want to just keep everybody, keep the peace, keep happy, no conflict. But the stirring that has happened in my soul these last three years is what, I mean, originally how the podcast started. It right. was like, we have so many thoughts and she feelings. She spoke in front of a school board. I, mean, I, I was did. so I, proud of you know, her. It was she, something oh, that I, I so had to put on my her. big girl pants and I be know. okay getting up there in front of people knowing. And I did get the messages. I did get the ridicule. So, so, for, so let me pause at the moment and let's let's be clear. Audience, your you're an unlikely housewife. You are a part of our family. You probably either align personality-wise, maybe with Tracy and or maybe with me. But either way, you are still called to speak out. It may not be your favorite place. And it doesn't have to be on a stage. The only place, it doesn't have to be in front of a school board. But maybe it it's could in be front of your, your spouse. Your spouse. Your kids. Your small group. Your writing an email to your pastor, but you are called to speak out. And there's so many, don't think that the only way to speak out is this grand, huge measure. And you're going to have to be on a speaking tour and away from your family 50 weeks out of the year, like Seth. And you don't have to be the one that puts it on social media that like opens yourself up for that. There, There are spaces and places for you to be able to do this. And God has put you there for those reasons. He has put you in standing in line, at Walmart, because you don't shop at Target anymore, because you're there and talking and all of a sudden this pregnant woman, for whatever reason, God says, I want you to say something. I want you to say something. You're going, no, 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 I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. You say something. You start the conversation. You become friends. And that opens the door. He will move people across the country for you to hold a fundraiser for them. Like, <laughs> I want to call that like moving mountains and yeah, that's back. awesome. I mean, but like, don't fool yourself thinking that, oh, well, I'm, I don't I'm not, have to be a part of it. It's I don't not have about to be, me. It's not about me or, or I, I, I don't like public speaking. So what? It's not, you're not public speaking. Maybe it is just a conversation with your small group. Maybe it is just a conversation with your coworker, your boss, your spouse, whoever it is. Those are all places that you, he has put you, God has put you to speak up and to stand out. And, and we, we're called to that. So. Hey, housewives, we are so excited. Oh my goodness. This is a dream come true. Y'all have heard us talk about our sauna sessions from the beginning and we have Sun Lighten as a sponsor of Unlikely Housewives. Why wouldn't we have a sauna session that brings all of the good juices flowing right out of our bodies when we're detoxing? Ex- Bring it right to the Unlikely Housewives. Exactly. But first of all, some of those benefits. The intention of getting in the sauna for us was not to create a podcast. No. no. no I have another we job. We wanted to sweat. We detox. Wa- detox. We wanted to boost our immunity. We wanted the reducing of inflammation and some the weight puff. loss. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's anti-aging. I mean, there's so many benefits to infrared sauna sessions. 
And so that was our initial purpose. Yeah. And just to vent, it was that season of life that we just needed to sit and talk and talk about what was going on. And that's where it all happened was in the sauna. Did you realize that there are studies that show heat therapy produces endorphins, those feel good emotions? So we were boosting our mood. And ideas so far, we boosted so far that a podcast idea came just flowing out. You guys, this is an incredible opportunity for you. You can have up to $600 off using our link, which is get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. That's get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. We'll put that link in the show notes for you, too. But $600 off a Sunlight and Purchase. The one that I have got is the Impulse 3-in-1 Believe. And it's amazing, y'all. It has been the best health investment for our family. I'll say my friends because I invite them yeah. over. That's how I use the saunas in your I know. I, sweat. If I come you, over and sweat. But it's so good and such a benefit. And, and you so, said family investment. The kids can get in it, too. Exactly. The second I hear that there is a stomach bug going around class, get in the sunlight and girls like you're going to do this in 20 minutes. Let's make sure your immune system is up to par to not bring that home for anybody. It is a family investment and you will not regret it. Again, that link for us is get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. All the link will be in the show notes. All right, we're going to get a little bit deeper with this because we want what? you This to wasn't deep, deep enough. I, okay, that's a good point. Okay. We'll just keep going. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what would make the difference for people too, right? Is if they if they held the children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of one of my best friends uh AJ Hurley and his wife Lori, who just spent some time with us in Kansas, they've held the children. So first were, trimester, second trimester and full that term. That were aborted. Full term. Um, oh, and wow. so they were involved with something that hasn't happened in some decades because the abortion industry works very hard for obvious reasons <laughs> to make sure that the bodies of their victims don't reach the light of day. Right. Right. Because I, I know the polling, by the way, of pro-life, pro-choice in America. And it's interesting. It's about 50-50. You always see somewhere around there. 50-50 lineup pro-life, pro-choice in America. But then if you ask... And Gallup poll did this in 2019. What's the percentage of the American public who supports third trimester abortions? That number is 13%. But what does it mean to be pro-choice? It means to protect a woman's right to choose. Choose what? Choose abortion at any point. And then when you ask, do you support Roe v. Wade? It goes up to like 60 or 70. It's really interesting. So people say they support Roe. But they have no idea what Roe and Doe, Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton allowed. You know what it allowed? Abortion through point of birth in America. So when you ask people, do you support Roe? You get like 60 or 70% of Americans that say, I support Roe. But then when you ask them a segment of what Roe allowed, abortion through point of birth, right. they say, oh, only 13% of the American public wants to allow abortion through the third trimester. Anyways, so like because it's so grisly, it's so gnarly to look at. But it's the same child. It's the same child. It's just younger over here and older over here. And so in D.C., about two or three months before Roe got overturned, some pro-lifers convinced the medical waste management driver who comes to pick up the bodies of the children from the abortion center 
to give them the boxes. And the driver did not know that he was picking up aborted babies. He thought this was just like a, like a surgical, like, Medical, like yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't know. And so he was kind of shocked <laughs> and he gave 115 babies to some friends to give them a respectful burial. And so my friend AJ and Lori were on the scene shortly after they went to an Airbnb or something and they opened the boxes um, and held every child, photographed every single one. Eyeballs, tongue, mouth, ears, intact faces severed from its body and neck, little hands, little feet. Five of those children of the 115 were full term. So full term being 40 weeks, these children were probably 37, 38 weeks full term, five of them. Now, that, how often does that medical waste management company and driver come to that abortion center? Probably every week. So when people tell you third trimester abortions are a joke, it's a Republican talking point used to right. rile up the base, yeah. it's fake news. Then why is one of four or five abortion centers in D.C., one of several abortion centers in D.C., have five full-term children inside of a week? And so they held these children. They photographed them. Uh, my friends were waking up with night terrors for months after that. And uh, Washington, D.C. refused to do autopsies to confirm that these were probably partial birth abortions, which I'm not a big fan of George Bush, but he did one good thing. He did ban partial birth abortions. If you'd like a description of that, happy to give it. But they're now illegal at the federal level. But these children's skulls were half collapsed in. And you have to ask, how does that happen? It when... happens through an illegal method called partial birth abortion. My point is this. Would you be able, Christian and pastor, to remain apathetic and silent if you held 115 murdered babies in one city in this country? murdered. I, I, I See, I think people would start living differently and feeling differently if they had to hold the victims of choice. Yeah, of course. Or, or they understood, like I've seen live action organization, I, that some of her videos that show people that it's asking people on the street, do you support, are you pro-life, pro-choice? And then yeah. when they show they the show video. An animated abortion and, yes. cartoon a, depiction. Yes, a cartoon. And then it's they not go. not the real stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And then they go, I had no idea. Yeah. They don't know what it means. So do you see now why the abortion industry works so hard to make sure that their victims never reach the light of day? Yeah. Like, like, mo by, 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 like most assassins. Yeah. I'm silent. I know. I know. And I don't want to be, but. It's kind of gut-wrenching. It is. It makes me want to throw up. And not very many pro-lifers have ever held aborted babies. And so, so I, like, I, like, I like Christians and pastors to think about that and to ask themselves. I like to ask them, I want you to consider how you might react if you had to hold second and third trimester murdered babies. And I have the photos and I brought them. They're on my phone with me if you'd like to see them. But I, I think your listeners and followers and pro-lifers in general ought to look at what abortion does to little babies. Yeah. Because otherwise we're just talking about ideas. And yeah, we have some that we brought with us here today. You're, ju you're just talking about justice completely detached from what the injustice represents. Here's a, here's a story of how significant and important this is, by the way. Have you ever heard of Emmett Till? Uh-uh. So Emmett Till was a young boy, I think 13 or 14, in, uh, in Money, Mississippi, in the late 50s or mid-50s. 
he was visiting his family, his extended family, and spending some time with them. So this is pre-Civil Rights Act, of course, right? I mean, we there's still some lynchings going on. The KKK is still active. And according to accounts, Emmett Till was hanging out with his buddies and he was bragging to them that he had a white girlfriend back at home and they didn't believe him. So they said, oh yeah, go into that, uh, that grocery store and flirt with the white clerk. And so he did. According to accounts, he, he either just said something like, hey babe, or he cat called or something like that. That, that was it. It was pretty... As, pretty, as a 13-year-old boy. Right. Really like, innocuous. Voice, right. That's, so according to accounts, that's what happened. Okay. So he leaves. A couple days later, that woman's husband and his friends drag Emmett Till out of his family's home. They tie him to a rope and drag him through the street with their car. They threw twine around his neck. They beat him repeatedly in the face until his face looked like a deflated football. And I've seen the pictures. And then they threw him into the Mississippi River. It's one of the most brutal racially motivated murders in the 20th century in America. A couple days later, the police found Emmett Till's body, pulled him out of the lake. They didn't know who it was. That's how unrecognizable the beating to his face had left him. His mother then shocked the world by requesting an open casket funeral. And you know, do you know what woke, I'm not political, well-meaning Christians and pastors said to her? That's inappropriate. You're disrespecting your little boy. Do you know one of the critiques I get from Christians when I hold aborted baby photos or defend the public use of aborted baby photos in the public square? Seth, that's disrespectful to the aborted babies. <laughs> Interesting. Published photos of Emmett Till's body then spread like wildfire by journalists all around America. And when Emmett Till's mother was asked why she did this, she said, I want the world to see what they did to my little boy. Historians believe that more so than Rosa Parks' actions, it was actually the published photo of Emmett Till's mutilated body that provided the spark to the civil rights movement. <laughs> so when Rosa Parks, who refused yes. to walk to the back of the bus, bus, was later interviewed, do you know what she said? She said, in that moment, I was thinking of Emmett Till. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So racism got a fate that day. It was ugly. Mm -hmm. And the American public was forced to look at, stare at what they defended or what they were participating in or what they were apathetic towards. <laughs> and historians believe that that was one of the sparks that started the civil rights movement in America. The same pastors, teachers, and Christians who say it's inappropriate to show people what aborted babies look like have never said that about a single other injustice movement in the world history. We all defend the use of mutilated piles of Jewish bodies in, in children, textbooks, and history books. Yeah. We all defend photos of lynched black men hung from trees so we don't forget what we allowed in this country. We all defend the graphic images of children's emaciated, starved bodies who were subjected to child labor. But when it comes to little babies in the womb, everyone's pissed off. Why? Maybe because you're convicted. We want to say, well, not in my circle. It doesn't affect me. 
And it's and that's forty percent of women who obtain abortion say they attend church on a weekly basis. And and our church has done nothing for them. Yes, they're waiting for them to silently from the pews to the local abortion center, and their shepherd has nothing to say. And if our churches, if we were speaking out as individuals and and as moms, as friends, and having conversations with our loved ones, I mean, this is why we started the podcast, is because you and I were having conversations, Tracy, that we were like. We know we're not the, the only ones. Yeah. We know. And, but if in a small group circle and our Bible study, if we can't have those conversations and let those women know that like they are loved, they are chosen, and so is their baby. And we, God will provide and God will fi- figure a way and we will gather around them. But if, our, if we're not doing that, then why are we shocked when they're only seeking help from the church after the procedures is done? That's why my pastor Rob McCoy says the church in America waits downstream to pick up human heartache that we help create by refusing to contend upstream. And what I mean by that, where the policies and ideas begin. Right. So we allow that evil to flow downstream and cause human heartache. And then we launch our 501c3 ministries downstream to pick up the broken pieces of human heartache that we help cause because of our silence and apathy. And then we feel really good and we go to our big fundraisers to fund our 501c3 ministries to love on people whose heartache and pain we may in large cases have been able to prevent if we were engaged in the public square to be like Jeremiah and demand. You know, one of the translations actually says to demand the welfare of the city where you are in exile for in her welfare, you will find your welfare. And this is when the Israelites were living in exile. Yeah. In exile, not a theocracy in Jerusalem, in exile. And God tells Jeremiah, demand the welfare of the city where you are in exile for in her welfare, you will find your welfare. But Tracy, you had a question. Everything that I have read and obviously followed you and and researched and all the things, this is beyond. I mean, this is something that has been coming for a long time. Some of us where our eyes are just being opened in the last few years, but this is so deeply rooted. It's beyond just the abortion topic. There's a lot of topics that are included in your passion, in your ministry. Sure. And so we touch on a lot of things at the White Rose Resistance because the culture of death was intentional. Yeah. And I will you just list off the things, uh, Tracy and I, if you're watching the exclusive video of this. No, <laughs> um, we are wearing uh, our white rose shirts, but on the back, there is a skull octopus that has all the tentacles. And I love the the pamphlet, the leaflet that comes with it to explain oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because people like, wait, hold on, overpopulation like that's debunking that and going, yeah. this has all been planned. So will you tell us what the, the tentacles of all of that are that all contribute to the culture of death? Yeah. List the seven thing <laughs> yeah, or yeah. the eight things. Actually, no, I, I may not know, be able to do it off the top of my head. I just actually, took my first cup of coffee, but it's, it's okay. It's, uh, so uh, abortion, reproductive health care, eugenics, overpopulation. So the sun god, right? He's really angry at us, right? Because you're, you're, to quote Margaret Sanger, you're swarming and spawning, swarming and spawning. Too oh, much. yeah. Socialism. <laughs> Here's the one that a lot of pro-lifers aren't ready for. mRNA gene therapy. If we can unpack that, if you, if you have time. But look, yeah. if, we, if you join and become an ally of the White Rose Resistance, look, look, you, get y'all, a, if, you get a free shirt. You can pick this shirt if you'd like. And this this little pamphlet explains kind of how the all the tentacles of death. And and I have a little write up on each one to explain how like intentionally designed and also integrated the various iterations of the culture of death have been. So you have Darwinism. Uh, Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, coined the term eugenics. He's a modern father of the eugenics movement. 
He mentored Havelock Ellis, Margaret Sanger's single greatest political and sexual mentor. So there you go. You got the sexual revolution. You got gender ideology. So that's John Money, the first uh, transgender theorist, right? Who yeah. said that. Uh, oh, that, and what that, he did to those your, children. Your, your, mm-hmm. your, your gender identity has nothing to do with the sex assigned at birth, right? Because gender is your real you. That's your real self-identity on the inside. And so you can you can strip your gender identity from the bondage of biology. So you might have been born with male chromosomes and a penis, but that's not the real you. If you think you're Sally inside, well, then you're Sally. And, and so he's the father of, of gender theory, right? And he, he started the gender series, gender something clinic at John Hopkins University in 1965. And the history behind that's pretty sick and twisted, by the way, too. So we, we kind of explain, we don't have time to get all that, yes, but we kind no, of explain. How, and we, and so we go a lot deeper than probably any other pro-life organization who likes to stay in their lane and just say, well, save the babies. <clears throat> it's like, yeah, of course, save the babies. But don't you understand, like the people who brought us the killing the babies movement, like the pro-abortion movement, like, do you not understand, like they're all on the same team? What's an example of this? Planned Parenthood's always tweeting out BLM stuff. Now, what does that have to do? What is systemic, allegedly systemic racism against black people? What did LeBron James say? Black people can't walk out of their house without being hunted down. What is, which I'm sure he's definitely experienced. Right, yeah. What, what is systemic Him racism and, his team. and police officers disproportionately murdering black people in America, allegedly? What does that have to do with Planned Parenthood? On the face of it, nothing. And, and for the non-awake, non-woke, informed conservative, nothing. That seems to have not, only everything, only everything to do with one another. Now, this is, this is a lot of the critical theory premises uh, coming out, right, that, that that individuals are not like individually responsible for their actions. It's society, man. Society failed me, man. That's why I robbed that store. And so like we're, we're just touching on some, some of the critical theory and where that comes from the Frankfurt School in Germany and stuff like that. But a lot of the high, I call them high priests of humanism, but the architects of our culture of death have all of the same worldviews, all of the same weird religions, humanism. Neo-Malthusianism, Darwinism, a lot of them were influenced and mentored by a lot of the same. Planned Parenthood and all this stuff, it's way bigger than baby killing, and it always has been. So if we're going to defeat this enemy that we're talking about, which is right now, for our purposes, it's, it's the killing babies in the womb, you have to understand your enemy. And to under, understand your enemy, you have to know how he thinks and who he was influenced by. And well, how that's got why it. I asked the question, so because <laughs> that's yeah. where my yeah. eyes were opened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously we can, do, we can do some of that for 12 and minutes, don't be like. don't feel if you like they have to go back and pause and each word and look it up in a dictionary. Yeah. Everyone yeah. that he said, that's OK. <laughs> I did, too. I did, too. I actually listened to his the when I saw him the first time. I watched it a couple of times because I got about 10 percent the first time. So, yes, he talks very fast because he's very passionate and he doesn't have a lot of time. <laughs> um, and he's very intelligent. Yes. And he's done his research. And yes. I think that that's the one thing that I, I've appreciated so much of the information that you provide and how how direct and how consistent yeah. it is and how it comes together because we only have so much time in each of our days and we're yeah. busy moms and busy wives and that's that's why we're bringing it to and you, you know what's too tracy is most christian high schools don't even teach this stuff in history like because i speak in a lot of churches obviously so i meet a lot yeah. of families and yeah. a lot of them send their kids to christian schools and i got no problem with that we're gonna homeschool but i got no problem with christian schools as long as they're solid and they don't have any woke teachers and they're not teaching false religion which you can call critical race theory <laughs> he called a lot of things yes. but this, is all, this is all false religion stuff that a lot of the churches imbibing mount chandler D- uh, david platt some of the preachers we probably used to like totally woke now totally critical race theorists by the way and you can ask me about that another time if you'd like but like as long as the christian school's solid that i got no problem with christian schools but but i'll, I'll, I'll like parents will walk up to me and say like i've never heard any of this before like young people t- teenagers going to christian schools like i've never heard any of this before 
So like a lot of our Christian schools aren't even teaching the history of bad ideas. And if we're going to be salt and light ambassadors for Christ in the culture, I thought that's what Christian education was about. Am I wrong? Raising up the next generation to be ambassadors for Christ and salt and light in the culture in which they find themselves. I would say you're right. So what did Paul say? He says in Acts, he says that God ordained the boundaries of your existence. It's one of the least known verses in the Bible in Acts. It says God ordained the boundaries of your existence and where you should live. He doesn't mean like that you might be a Ukrainian or a Russian. No, no, it <laughs> means time. God ordained the time frame hmm. that you would be born in and live in, which means there's no accident to that. No, right. we, I mean, we absolutely learned that. You're a Christian in America in 2023. There's a yeah. reason and a purpose for it. And if there's a reason and a purpose, then you have a duty and a responsibility to fulfill to your king. How can you contend for the truth in a culture of death that you have no idea how it occurred? You, you, you have no, you do not understand any of these ideas, how they got here and how in many cases they're actually like an alternative gospel. They're actually, they're like promising eternal life as well, but under a whole different set of circumstances. If Christians don't understand that culture of death, how are they supposed to be salt and light in that culture? And so we are living out Hosea 4, 6 again. And in Hosea 4, 6, God tells his people, you are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. My people, says God in Hosea 4, 6, are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. We are being destroyed by lack of knowledge in America today. So, which is so ironic. One of those things, we can do a couple little teasers on, on how we got here if you'd like, but it's very important for us to be like the sons of Issachar in First Chronicles. It says they were men who understood the times. Yeah. So they were the, they were the opposite side of that Hosea 4 6. They, they were had being the... destroyed. It says, it said they understood the times that they lived in. And then it says, so they knew what the people of God ought to do. So, with an understanding of the times you live in, comes a responsibility to act so they knew what to do they knew what to do because they understood the times right if you don't understand the times how the hell are you supposed to know what to do and so guess what every question i get at pulpits is seth what can i do because now they're starting to understand right please tell the story of why it's called the white rose resistance oh sure and so people understand that and then you and that will and then we'll talk share with our listeners about the event that's coming yeah yeah so yeah, in, uh, in 1942, in Nazi Germany, which is pretty advanced at that point, you understand? A yeah. lot of this stuff happened gradually and then suddenly in Germany and people are like, what the hell is going on? They're murdering Jews. So, I mean, the Jews have been wearing the yellow star for about almost two and a half years already. They were already marked by 1942. They, they were already being rounded up. Yeah. Point. I mean, it's pretty late, right? 1942. And... Uh, Everyone knows the name Bonhoeffer, right? But most people don't know the name Hans and Sophie. And most people have never even heard of, of the White Rose Resistance, right? And so a 21-year-old, which is crazy to me. I mean, I just turned 32. So a 21-year-old named Sophie was walking the streets of Munich in 1942. And she was a believer. We have the letters to prove that she loved the Lord. Her father spent some time in prison for publicly criticizing Hitler. So she came from good stock. I guess. <laughs> and uh, she's on the right side of history. She, she found a leaflet, probably not much larger than this, on the sidewalk. And she picked it up and it said leaflets of the white rose. And so she starts reading this thing and it's like explicitly condemning the crimes of the Nazis, their crimes against the Jews, the deterioration of freedom. And so her heart is stirred to action. She wants to join the white rose resistance. But from reading the account and story that her sisters told about it, 
you know what Sophie's thinking at that point? She goes, my brother talks like this all the time at dinner. What? Why does this sound like something my brother wrote? <laughs> She's uh-huh. like tripping out. Well, come to find out the White Rose Resistance had not only been co-founded, it was being run by none other than her older brother, Hans, who at 24 years old was just trying to protect his little sister. I mean, political resistance was very dangerous in the Third Reich. I mean, pastors were murdered for less than leaflet campaigns, I mean. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. So she becomes the youngest member and the only woman the white rose resistance their, their bravery later spawned smaller resistance circles around germany in different cities but munich was kind of the hub and this a 21 year old young woman pretty much everyone else was a, everyone else was a male in, in the munich chapter and hans just want just didn't want his sister to get captured and killed he didn't want her involved yeah and he was 24 at the time and so she joins the White Rose Resistance, and for the rest of 1942, she joins their activities in like staying up late and writing these leaflets, editing them together, printing them. Because there was not a copier for those for our younger listeners, <laughs> yeah, where right. you think that everything just shows up. It's there's yeah, not it a copier or laborious. digital. Yeah, and then they would spread them across Germany, and some of them would take trains in the middle of the night to major German cities. And while most people were asleep, they would do these leaflet drops, and they drop them off in major German cities. They were actually they were. They were graffiti artists. They were vandalizers, and they would van- they would graffiti anti-Nazi sentiments on German-owned buildings. And the Nazis would come over the next morning and paint over it because right. because they they hated the White Rose Resistance, but they they couldn't find out who was behind it. Yeah, and it drove them crazy. And so in 1943, they take things to the next level, and they start writing in their leaflets things like, "Do not hide your cowardice behind the cloak of expediency." Uh, they said, we are the White Rose Resistance. We are your bad conscience and we will not leave you alone. Sophie once said, we are Christian and we are German. Therefore, we are responsible for Germany. Hmm. If an evangelical pastor said that from the pulpit today, he'd be ripped as a Christian nationalist dominionist who's, to quote Joe Biden's White House press secretary, quote, the greatest and most extreme threat to our democracy. <laughs> but isn't that true? Yeah. I mean, we've been called the stewardship, right? To whom much is given, much is required. We've been given the freest republic of any form of government in human history. Yeah, you bet the church and Christians ought to be responsible for stewarding such a gift. And that's what she was saying then. We are Christian and we are German, therefore we are responsible for Germany. And in 1943, they took things to the next level. And on February 18th, so 80 years and five months ago or something like that, Hans and Sophie, brother and sister, walk onto the campus at the University of Munich. Now, I believe Sophie was a student. Hans might have been as well. But they skipped out class and they arrived at the university when class was in session. So it was mostly quiet. And as Sophie walked onto campus with a suitcase full of their illegal leaflets. And they start spreading them across the University of Munich. And there's a memorial to them today embossed into the floor of the atrium at the University of Munich, by the way. Oh, that's cool. Go visit it there. And so... In this kind of final iconic act, Sophie walks to the third floor balcony of the University of Munich, and you can see photos of of the atrium today, and she throws an entire stack of leaflets, just chucks them at three stories down to the atrium below. Yeah. So obviously when you throw paper, it goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. That was the point. And the janitor, a committed Nazi, caught Hans and Sophie in the act, called the Gestapo on the spot, and Hans and Sophie were arrested on February 18th, 1943. They refuse to implicate or rat out any of their other friends. Uh, unfortunately, they found incriminating evidence at their apartment uh, that they had left around. 
So they arrested their friend Christoph Probst that same afternoon, whose wife was in the hospital recovering from childbirth for a daughter he'd never meet. Oh. Uh, he was also in his 20s. So you got a 21-year-old, a 24-year-old, and a 25 or 26-year-old. Yeah. Let me just ask you something really quick, Christian. What have you done? <laughs> yeah. And so they spent four days in prison being brutally interrogated and physically abused. And in those few days, Hans and Sophie's bravery so disturbed the prison guards that they relaxed the rules with great threat to their own lives and career and let Hans and Sophie meet with their parents in a side room right before they were escorted to the guillotine four days later on February 26th, where they had their heads chopped off. French Revolution, full-blown. Full guillotine, head on the thing, head severed. The court proceedings, which were like just a complete like kangaroo court. I was going to say um, a joke. Ronald, Fre Ronald Freiser. You go, go Google that. I don't know. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it. Ronald Freiser was a very famous Nazi judge who was known for his more ludicrous antics. And you understand at this point, there's no jury. This is not a free rep. You know, right. what I'm like, yes, this is just for show. How to vote, right? It was a joke. And so while Hans and Sophie and Christoph Probst were sitting in that seat, in the judgment seat, if you will, Hans and Sophie's father broke into the court proceeding while his kids were about to be sentenced to death. And as he was escorted away by the Nazis, Hans's and Sophie's father yelled to every man in that room as he was escorted out. He yelled, you will one day stand where they sit now. Mm. Meaning in the judgment seat, seat. on yeah. judgment day. Sophie had a cellmate named Elsie Gebel who survived the war but was in the same cell as Sophie for those four days. And so thanks to Elsie's life, we kind of have a swing for swing account of Sophie's final hours. As she later wrote letters to Sophie's and Hans' parents, explaining oh. every final moment of Sophie's life. And she told Sophie's parents, she said, your daughter was not so concerned with her impending death. She was disturbed in soul as to how her parents could handle losing two children on the same day. Oof. So that's a 21-year-old, just to remember. Right, like they're... So uh. here's what Sophie said, according to her cellmate, Elsie. And I, I, think, I think Sophie was asking the same question we're asking today, which is what the hell's going on? Hmm. And how did we get here? Yeah, yeah. How did we get <laughs> that's here? the question. Isn't that what most of your audience and good Christians who are concerned about our culture are asking? How did we get here? When did this happen? Drag yeah. Queen Story Hour? Really? Men with their junk showing out as they're dancing yeah. around in lace at a library and juggling for and kids? And not even like, just how we got here. But how did we get so divided that we can't even like have normal conversations with right, or close, see the truth? Yeah, rightly divided friends and family. Truth, yeah. yeah, I mean, just to hear like it's fine. It's it's not fine. And I think we right. we we all want to attribute blame, right? Yeah. We all want to be able to say it's because of them or that mm -hmm. group or that president, right, or that evil person. Oh yeah, because because evil is so in your face right now that we want to attribute it to someone or something, right? And I think Sophie was asking the same thing. It's like, how do we get here? Who's to blame? What the hell happened? Mm -hmm. she, didn't blame the, she didn't blame the Nazis. And here was one of Sophie's final words, according to her cellmate. She said, the real damage is caused by all of those millions out there who just want to survive. The honest men and women who just want to be left in peace. Those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves. Those with no sides and no causes. Those who won't take measure of their own strength for fear of antagonizing their own weaknesses. Those who don't like to make waves or enemies. Those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principle, it's all just literature. Those who live small, die small. 
It's the reductionistic approach to life. Because if you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. Mm-hmm. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. But it's all an illusion. Because they die too. Those people yep. who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe. Safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues, and a little candle burns itself out just like the flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn now, who talks like that at 21 years old? That, I was going uh, not me. I was, no. That sounds like... Definitely not what I was thinking or saying at 21. Chesterton, maybe, <laughs> or yeah. Winston Churchill, maybe, or C.S. Lewis? I was, C.S. Lewis was who that, I was thinking, like, that is... That's a 21-year-old, a young woman with the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring inside of her. Mm-hmm. Her final words, with her head on the guillotine, according to the executioner, who was later interviewed, her final words were, the sun still shines. And Hans's final words were freedom, like William Wallace. Freedom. Yes. So the White Rose Resistance was stamped out very quickly. They found the rest of them and they, all, and they murdered all of them. Most people don't know the story of the White Rose Resistance because they weren't all that effective in preventing their evil then. But while rose blossoms may perish in the fall, they reappear in the spring. And while all of the members of the White Rose Resistance were found and executed, their sacrifice planted the seeds of resistance in the hearts of millions whose actions keep alive the legacy of the white rose and your sacrifice christian will water those seeds of resistance so one day thousands will be awakened and stirred to action the white rose will blossom again and we like sophie can say the sun still shines we're facing the same ideas the same evil and our own holocaust today and the question is not who But you, the question is not when, but now. We all cast aspersions and judgment onto silent Christians who allowed slavery and allowed the Holocaust. And we're allowing it in our own cities, in our own towns, in our own states, in our own land of the free and home of the brave. And most people go about their days and don't even think about the 2,700 to 3,000 children that were murdered in America today as their limbs were ripped off of their shoulders or they were poisoned to death with the abortion pill, which, by the way, is a Nazi-era relic. The same company that makes the abortion pill once made the poison to kill Jews in Nazi concentration camps and gas chambers. (laughs) Interesting. We're facing the same evil today, and it's time for the church to wake up and give God a reason to show America mercy. So we say we're rebuilding the White Rose resistance for this generation because just as it was then, so it is today. Do not blame the doers of evil, for evil men always do evil stuff. Mm -hmm. Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what you're doing to stop it. Albert Einstein said that the world is in greater peril from those who tolerate or encourage evil than from those who actually commit it. Mine. 
But uh, yeah, Blown. boom. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. We finished each, each other's, other's thoughts. Sandwiches. Sorry. <laughs> Frozen parents out so there. So if you want to join the White Rose Resistance, go to thewhiterose.life. Yes. You become an ally of the White Rose Resistance. You get a free shirt. You get a donor box, activism box sent to you. You get live calls with me. You enter our digital community, which is like a glorified Facebook group on steroids mm-hmm. that we're launching this month in September. And so you get like curriculum. We have our first course, training materials, live So if you want to sound like Seth... So and be what, able to have so the conversation. You, you, the Christian, go yes. be the resistance. Mm-hmm. Stop waiting for your cowardly pastor to do something and stop waiting for pregnancy centers to do the work that God's probably calling you to do individually in your city. Yes. And so we will conclude all of your links, places to find you, places to support you. But I do, we're going to throw a plug out here. That fundraiser that I was talking about here at the end of, it's going to be at the end of October, October 30th. And... We will include the link here in the show notes. We would love to have you there. Seth is going to speak. So is the Kansas Attorney General, Chris Kobach. And we will get an exclusive sneak peek of the documentary 1916 project that will be released hopefully in the spring. That's right. And so we want to see you there. And if your heart was stirred, you don't have to pray on it because actually God wants you. He's already doing that. He's already, yeah. So (laughs) like, he's stirring your heart. He's stirring your heart. Just listen. Just listen. And just, just. Join the first thing, just join the alliance, just join the white rose. And then yep. you don't have to sound like Seth or have the knowledge no. or the things that, I mean, the, the, I have no idea how he's memorized all we, of those we quotes. We all have our place on the wall, right? Yeah. yeah. And so there's also the fighters and sometimes there's, there's those that help the fighters. Yeah. yeah. And without those that help the fighters, there are no fighters, right? So there's the helpers, there's the, there's the advocates, there's the activists, and there's the donors. We need all of those people at this moment. Absolutely. And, you, and yes, my podcast is unaborted. Yes. Uh, and we will also include that. Well, housewives, we want to thank you so much. We know that this was a longer than usual episode, but we know we could not could not do it any shorter because this was all such good stuff. Tracy. Yes. We are so thankful that you have stayed with us. Please consider all of what you've heard. Be a voice. That's what Tori and I have set out to do with Unlikely Housewives. And we're passing it on to you. Yep. Until next week, housewives. Bye. Whether we made you laugh or cry today, we pray you feel appreciated, bolder and braver than yesterday, stronger and more faithful for tomorrow and living in who you were made to be today. Join our online community on Facebook, link in the show notes, and be sure to review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time, housewives, we give you permission to walk confidently, free, and to be intentional in your slippers or stilettos.